118th Psalm, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Psalm 118. About open your Bible to the middle of it, you should be pretty close to it, uh, actually. It's, it's one of those, one of those places that's near the center of your Bible. So if you just open it up about halfway, you'll probably be not too far off. Psalm 118, um, I like to put Legos together. I'm a big Lego kind of guy. Mitchell's like, yes! Because he loves doing Legos too. Um, there is always in every Lego set one, at least, sometimes more, but at least one really weird looking piece. Have you, have you noticed that, Mitchell? There's always a piece that you're just like, what in the world is this? So they have their normal stock. They're, you know, certain pieces that, that go in just about every Lego set. They might be different colors, but they're all pretty much the same kind of stuff. But then there'll be a piece or, or a couple of pieces, depending on what you're doing, that are just odd. Like you've never seen this kind of piece before. And, and it's tempting to say, well, I don't know what I'm going to use that for and kind of throw it to the side. But you know, at some point, the directions are going to call for that weird looking piece. And it's, 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 uh, so you don't ever throw it away, do you? Because you know you're going to need it. I think about, um, putting certain things together around Christmas time. You, you get the present and you got to build it for the kid the night before. And of course, you got to wait for the kids to go to sleep and keep them in their rooms and all that kind of stuff. But, but when you get to building and you're f trying to follow the directions to build this, or if you're, if you're that kind of guy, just throwing out the directions and go, going at it on your own and then trying to look and figure out what you did wrong when a little bit later you don't have what you need. I've learned enough from that to know that the directions are always a good idea. It's, it's funny because when we're putting things together, there's often something that doesn't seem to fit, doesn't seem to work out, doesn't look like it's the right piece. When we get to Psalm 118, we find two different messianic passages, just a couple of verses apart. I want to focus on the first one today. So stand with me as we read from Psalm 118, and we'll just read two quick verses, verses 22 and 23. This is the Word of God, and if you let it, it will change your life. Psalm 118, 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. Penetrate our cold, hard hearts. Enliven us with your word and bring this word to live through us today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It's like that Lego piece that you don't think has a, a spot, don't think has a use, really ends up becoming useful. Go back a second, Carrie. Um, Psalm 118 is a, pro a processional hymn. It is designed as this group of people coming into the temple courts, into the presence of God. So verses 1 through 4 kind of present this antiphonal praise where, where you know verse 1 because it's all over the songs. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. And then you basically go to different groups. Let Israel say, His love endures forever. Let Aaron, the house of Aaron, say, His love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, 
His love endures forever. This this praise that's going back and forth between these different groups, starting this procession as it's going on its way. And then in verse 5, one particular person begins to speak up. It might have been a king. It might have been a leader of the people. It may have been someone who had just been through some distress and anxiety and bad situations who is bringing praise before God. And, and, and that adversity becomes the springboard of this coming into God's presence. He has endured the, the adversity. He's been given victory by God. And now he seeks to enter God's presence in the temple. Verses 22 and 27 give those two messianic images. The first we'll talk about at length today. The second one is uh, what we find on the day of triumphal entry. Jesus riding on the donkey in fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9 on the fowl of a donkey and the people are shouting, Hosanna, save us we pray. And blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's the, that's the second messianic image we have in this psalm. And then 28 and 29 kind of give a postlude of praise that wrap it all up in praise to God and repeat that praise from the very beginning. But we're going to focus today on 22 and 23. This passage has been used several times in the New Testament. We'll talk about those as we go. But for just a moment, I want you to take a step back and I want you to look at it from the general perspective, perhaps of the person who would originally be saying these words. And we don't have a particular author of this. We don't know where it comes from exactly. We don't know if there's a certain situation. But we do know that this person faced adversity. If you look back at verse 5, you see, out of my distress I called to the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side and is my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. We have this image of someone who has been in distress, but has found God faithful to be with him and to strengthen him and encourage him and deliver him through the distress. Psalm 22 and 23 encapsulate this whole journey. And there's, there's a couple of, uh, of things to look at. First, the stone is rejected. The stone is rejected. It's not, it's not, it, it's, that, it's that Lego piece that you throw to the side because you don't think you need it. You don't know where it goes and you don't know what its purpose is and so you throw it to the side. Imagine a builder working on building a house and they get this piece and, and the builder's like, what is this? I don't even know what this is. Oh, I, I, I know, but it's the wrong size. We don't need it. Send it back. Imagine a builder. I, I've got a friend whose, whose house is getting rebuilt. Uh, just the other day I said, how's the house going? She said, slow. The, uh, her house was damaged in the tornadoes and, and so they're still working on rebuilding it. It's been a long, drawn-out process for her. But she said on Thursday, I got my front door yesterday, so now it has a front door. Hey, you know, right, anything, right? Any kind of progress is good, right? She, she said, can you imagine if the door gets there and they look at it and they say, that's not the right size door. Send it back. Can you imagine the frustration that the builders would, would be in? Because they're trying, they're trying to finish this house, but, but they're sending us the wrong size door. 
You've had that happen before, haven't you? Where you've done a project and they sent you something that wasn't right. Maybe they sent you the wrong kind of item or the wrong size or maybe they did something wrong and it's something that you can't really fix on site. You've got to send it back and get another one. You ever been through that? That's what happens here in Psalm 122. He says, the stone that the builders rejected. The first thing that I want to turn your attention to is that the stone is rejected. It's tossed aside. Really, this is, in, in a sense, it's kind of a humiliation, isn't it? It's kind of this being brought low. This thing that is supposed to be the right thing for the job is rejected by the builders because they don't see the right place for it or because uh, it doesn't seem to fit what they need. The stone that the builders rejected. I thought about this because when you look at the life of Christ, you see a stone rejected by the builders. Matthew chapter 21 Jesus has made his triumphal entry in. He's cleansed the temple. Mark gives us a good description of the timeline of how things go. Matthew flips the order a little bit. But right after that, Matthew tells us that the Pharisees come and they ask Jesus a question. It's two questions that kind of get to the same point. They say, by what authority do you do these things? And who gave you that authority? That question of authority. Who made you in charge? Now this is their precinct. This is their temple. This is their jurisdiction. They were the ones who were in control. They were the ones who were in charge. They were the ones who determined what happened in the temple day and night. And Jesus is walking in, cleansing out the temple. He's getting rid of money changers. He's, he's chewing people out. He's yelling and, and kicking them out. I, I mean, I imagine he's actually kicking people. Like, get out of here. You don't belong in here. My house should be called a house of prayer for the nation, but you've turned it into a den of robbers, he says. And so he's doing all this, and they say, who made you in charge? Isn't that funny? You see, they thought they were in charge. The question is authority. You might ask it this way. Who exalted you to this place of control? Who was it that gives you the right to come in here and do all these things you're doing? Jesus answers three ways. The first is he turns it back on them. He says, well, I'll, I'll tell you who gave me the authority. If you tell me this, who gave John the authority to baptize? No answer. But then he does something else. He gives two parables. One is of two sons. The father sends two sons. He says, go work in my field. The first son says, I ain't doing that. A little bit later, he thinks about it. He says, you know, it's my dad. I should do it. Changes his mind. He goes back and he works. The second one goes out and he works. Obeying the Father's will. But then he says, you know what? This is just baloney. I don't have to work this hard. I don't have to do this anymore. I quit. And he leaves. Jesus says, who honored the Father? Well, neither one did perfectly, did they? No. But, but who honored the Father? Y'all tell me, who honored the Father? Even, even though he said no at first, he repents. There's a, there's a good word. And he does it. Then Jesus gives a second parable. He says, there's a guy that had a field, planted a vineyard, made it all nice, put, put a good fence around it. 
went to grow, put in good plants, had it, had it working well, well watered, well nourished. And then he goes out on a journey and he hires some servants to keep it while he's gone. A little bit later, he sends some other servants into the vineyard to collect the fruit that it grows. The ones that were keeping the field, no, you're not getting this. Shames them, sends them away. Second group comes, shames them even worse, sends them away. Third group comes, kills them. Landowner says, surely they'll respect my son. Sends the son. No, they don't respect him. They kill him too. What's the master going to do when he comes back? He's going to get him. He is going to punish them badly. Why? Because they deserve it. Then Jesus says this, Matthew 21, 43. Therefore I tell you. Oh, by the way, he quoted Psalm 128, 22, and 23. Then he says this. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. You see, here's the thing. They are questioning Jesus' authority because they think they have the authority. But what they don't recognize is that Jesus is the one with the authority all along and that they have been unfaithful servants to God. They have rejected the stone. And so it doesn't doesn't matter how much you think you're in charge when you're rejecting the stone that has come from God, when when you're directly opposing the one God has sent, you are opposing God himself. He is the stone, but he is rejected by the builders who think they know better. Philippians 2, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. Your version might say as something to be used for his own advantage or something like that. But he emptied himself. That's a humiliating word, isn't it? By taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you hear the humiliation in those words? He is the likeness of God. He is the very person of God. And he humbles himself to become a man and then humbles himself even more to become a servant of men, and then humbles himself even more to become obedient, not only to God, but also to man, even to the point of dying a cursed death. This is humiliation. He is the stone rejected, but he's also the stone resplendent. Look back at Psalm 118.22. The stone that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, construction in that day, you won't lay a concrete foundation. There's no concrete, okay? What you do is you get a stone that is perfectly square and you put it on the corner. And then you build the rest of the walls based on that stone. 
That stone becomes the most important stone because it's the one that you set perfectly level, that is perfectly straight, so that all the rest of the house can be built off that. You need something true by which you can set a standard for the rest of the building. The cornerstone served as that. Now can you imagine? Can you imagine a group of builders that gets the cornerstone of a building and says, we don't need this. I got this. Yep, I'm good. Y'all, we don't need that. Send it back. But that, that's not just any stone. That's the most important stone. Peter put it this way. He says that we are, uh, uh, in, in 1 Peter 2.4, we are living stones being built up into a body. And then he says this in verse 6. For it stands in Scripture. He gives three different Old Testament quotes. First, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That's from Isaiah 28, by the way. Then he quotes Psalm 118. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And then he quotes from Psalm 8, or from Isaiah 8, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. He goes on to say, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people called out of darkness into his marvelous light that we may declare the excellencies of him who brought us out of darkness and into his light. The stone is not just any stone. It is the stone. It's the whole basis for the entire building. It's the foundation of the entire building. It is, it is the one stone that matters most. Peter. Gotta love Peter. Peter's just great. Peter is, I, I, Peter is my spirit animal, I guess. He's, he's a kindred spirit with me. Both of us have a big mouth and we don't know when to shut it sometimes. And Peter, sometimes that works out really good, though. Like, usually, in fact, it's pretty much after the resurrection that it works out pretty good. Before the resurrection, it doesn't work out so well, because Peter, sometimes he'll get it great. Sometimes he'll be like, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and, and Jesus is like, attaboy, Peter. And then other times, Peter's saying something, and Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> so, Peter doesn't always get it right. But Acts chapter 4, he gets it right. They, he and John are preaching to the people the resurrection of the dead in Jesus Christ. And, and the religious leaders don't like this. They've healed this guy in this crowd with a bunch of people. They arrest Peter and John, take them into custody, and it's kind of late, so the next day they convene their council to, to try to judge this case. And as they convene this council, they ask a question. In fact, it's a very familiar question. Acts chapter 4, he asks, uh, these guys ask, and, and it's one of the priests that's involved, ask him, uh, by what power or by what name did you do this? Do you recognize that question? They were asking Jesus this a few months ago. Now they're asking Peter and John the same thing. Who gave you the authority? Who exalted you to the place to where you think you can just waltz right in here and do all this stuff you're doing and say all this stuff you're saying? Who do you think you are? And then Peter, 
Verse 8. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Spoiler alert. That's who gave him the authority. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Are, are, you really want to know who we think we are for healing this guy. You really want to know where the authority comes from by which this crippled guy can now walk. You really want to know. Are you sure you want to know? Because if you really want to know, I'll tell you, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. You see, this Jesus, verse 11, is the stone that was rejected by you, which has become the cornerstone. You see, you see, you rejected the stone. That Jesus, you rejected him. You crucified. You don't get more rejection than crucifying somebody, okay? But he's the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among man by which we must be saved. He's the cornerstone. Do you see now why I chose the word resplendent as opposed to rejected? You see, they thought the stone was worth nothing, but in reality, the stone is worth everything. We read Philippians 2, 5 through 8 earlier. Look in verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him we go from a humiliation to an exaltation. Christ goes from the one who is humiliated time after time after time, going from God to man, man to servant, servant to dying on a cross. Humiliated, 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 and now he is highly exalted. Not just exalted, he's exalted, exalted. Exalted above all the exalted. He is extremely, highly, no higher you can go, exalted. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. That's my knees and that's your knees. And I know you got bad knees, some of you. I, I'm starting to get bad knees, but they're going to bow anyway. There are some knees that are defiant knees. They don't want to bow. They're going to bow anyway. There are some knees that are just a knocking. They're going to bow. There are some knees that are strengthened. They're going to bow too. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And in fact, that kind of, that kind of, brings, up, that kind of brings up the next point. You got the stone rejected becoming the stone resplendent. In the end, God is glorified. Psalm 118, verse 23. The stone the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. You see, it's God doing this. He's the one who's acting. A little bit earlier in, in chapter 118, the psalmist says that, that the right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. You can almost hear the echoes of the arm of God. Just, just like he did in the Exodus. In fact, this psalm 
is the last of a set of six songs that would be sung during the Passover. The first two, 113 and 114, would be sung before the Passover meal. They recount Israel being in slavery in Egypt. And then 115 through 118 would be sung after the meal. So now you have... Now you have the song of praise that has recognized God's deliverance in the Exodus. In fact, he basically repeats at one point, repeats from the song of Moses. I will sing to the Lord for He has triumphed gloriously. In Exodus 15, you have the echoes of that. You have the echoes of that Exodus. You have this person representing Israel saying, we were in distress and we cried out to God and He delivered us from it. And it's God that's doing it. It's not us. It's not man. It's not... It's Moses, you know what Moses did? Not much. Let's see. Let's recount what Moses did. He went and talked to Pharaoh and got Pharaoh mad. He went to talk to Pharaoh again and again and again and again and again. He started, he started doing certain things. He took, he took water... Or no, he took a staff and he hit the, the river and it turns to blood. Now, did Moses make the river turn to blood? No. No. Did Moses' staff make the river turn to blood? No. He just hit the water with it. You go, you go right now. Go out to one of the creeks or lakes or, or rivers or, or ponds or whatever. You go find a body of water and you hit it with a stick all day. See if you can make it turn to blood. Why don't you think about the stick or about Moses? Let's see, he, uh, he takes some dirt at one point, throws it up in the air. Suddenly, everybody's got boils all over their skin. That's some really bad dirt, huh? Nothing with the dirt. All he's got now is a dirty hand. Moses isn't the one doing these miracles. It's God. It's the hand of God that is doing these works, these incredible deeds that are ransoming his people. They get to the Red Sea and, and the Egyptians are coming behind them. Who is the one that keeps the Egyptians off for long enough for the waters to part? Who is the one who is parting the waters? Who is the one who has parted so much of the water that they're not walking on swampy ground, they're walking on dry ground when they go across? Who is the one that brought the waters back together when Pharaoh's army is in the middle of them and Israel has already passed on to the other side? It's not Moses. It's not any of the Israelites. It's God doing all these works. This is the Lord's doing. It's God's will that His stone be rejected and yet be the cornerstone. That's His plan. Because, and, and here is the pattern. I call this the pattern of the Messiah. What's the pattern of the Messiah? Let me show it to you. The righteous who is humbled will be exalted for God's praise. When we are humbled, God can then exalt us. Now, it's not so that we get exalted. It's not so that we are high and lifted up. So that He is. So that He gets the praise. By humbling the Messiah and then exalting Him, God is the one that gets the praise. This is the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. You, you probably saw it even if you didn't quite see it this time. Look back at Philippians 2.11. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? What's, what's the result of that? What does it all boil down to? To the glory of God the Father. 
See, everything God has done, he is doing to bring himself glory. And the fact is that we exalt ourselves, we cannot glorify God. But if we are humble, now sometimes that takes God humbling us. Sometimes we begin to learn how to humble ourselves through walking with him. But if we will be humble, God will be glorified. And that is the pattern of the Messiah. Go into a uh, store, go into Hobby Lobby, they've got a big sewing section. And in the middle of the sewing section is this giant cabinet, file cabinet. And through all that file cabinet are all of these patterns. They show you how to make certain things. Maybe it's a type of hat or a dress or some sort of costume for Halloween or something, whatever it might happen to be. Okay, Some article of clothing or something. Jesus Christ gives us the pattern of the righteous one. If we will let God humble us, if we will quit seeking the glory for ourselves, if we'll quit caring about being number one, being on top, in charge, if we will stop worrying about trying to control other people to do what we want them to do, if we will stop seeking after other people behaving like they're supposed to for our sake and just seek God's glory, if we will get out of the way and not care about what we face, then we'll see God glorified and we'll be exalted in the process. Jesus says, Jesus never says, you need to exalt yourself so that you can bring all men to me. He says, if you lift me up, I'll draw them. Sometimes we get in the habit of putting ourselves on the pedestal. Maybe we're not trying to. Maybe we're not trying to be so uh, grotesque about it, proud about it. Well, you know, I don't ever do that because I found that this is what happens. So instead, I do this. My dad, all the time, would say, you see when I come in from work every day that I put all my stuff up. You need to do that too. He wasn't trying to be proud about it. He was just trying to set the example, right? But if we're not careful, that becomes proud. Look at how great I am. Look at, look at all the good stuff I do. Look at how wonderful I'm treating you. Look at, look at all of these accolades that I have accumulated. And, 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 and we just let pride run our lives. The pattern of the Messiah is that we need to be humbled. And yes, there is a promise of exaltation, but it may not be that you get exalted today or tomorrow or next month or even before you die, but you're going to be pretty high and lifted up <laughs> after death, I promise. You see, in God's economy, it's the one who is humbled that he can exalt. And when we get into this pattern of putting ourselves as being the ones who are worthy of praise, we get in God's way. The righteous who is humbled will be exalted for God's praise. That might mean a couple of things for you. It might mean that you need to repent. I find myself quite often having to say, God, how could I be so silly? How could I be so proud when I know 
I don't deserve to be. But yet, here I am. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe, maybe you just need to repent and say, God, help me. I've been, I've, been, I've been looking for glory myself that really belongs to you. Maybe, maybe your problem isn't so much that you want to exalt yourself, but you just feel like there's, there's just some due to you that you're not getting. I'm working and I'm working and I'm working hard and hard and hard and I'm not seeing any results. Well, would you stop looking for yourself to be exalted and start looking for God's praise? Because I bet you'll find that if you're doing well, God is getting praise because of your works. And if you're not doing well, well then, <laughs> then it was a pride issue after all. It might mean for you that you need to parent differently. I'm struggling because I'm finding that I can't control my kids. But that I don't also, I'm not given the charge by God to control them nearly so much as to help them come under God's control. Maybe it means you're parenting different. For some of you, you've got older kids with kids and, 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 and you're trying to figure out, maybe it's, it's grandkids that you have influence over. I know some that, that are basically parents to their grandkids. And maybe you just need to remember that, that you can't control the situation. That you need to find God's grace in the middle of it and help your kids find that grace too. Help your grandkids find that grace too. Maybe, maybe that's how you apply this. Maybe we apply this as a church because, you know, we are a bunch of living stones. And so maybe instead of rejecting another stone... Maybe you need to make amends. Maybe we need to build each other up in this body called the church. You humble yourself, you're not going to get all the credit. But if you're humble, you don't need the credit. You're willing to give it to the one who deserves it after all. So I'll leave it to you. Will you be humble? Will you follow the pattern of the Messiah? Or are you just going to take that Lego and throw it out and say, I don't need that. And then wonder why you can't finish it a little while later. Don't reject the stone. Don't reject God's precious cornerstone. Pray with me. Father, this is your time. You do your will in us. In Jesus' name, amen.